and welcome to Really Rated. I'm your host, Mitchell Stevens, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Jess Andrews. Jess, how are you? Buongiorno. <laughs> Cease your serpent tongue. <laughs> I'm good, thank you. We're still surviving. Well, I hope you're keeping well, and I hope all the listeners out there are keeping well as well. Um, I'm not going to reference what I'm talking about, because I'm sure we all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the plague. <laughs> but we're all here, we're still surviving, so like, let's... Have a bit of fun today, shall we? Today we'll be talking about Dark Shadows. It was my pick. I wouldn't say I picked a doozy, Jess. <laughs> I think I picked an Uzi. <laughs> yeah, it's probably more. That's probably more stupid. <laughs> yeah. But I have to say, I think it's quite an interesting film given who the director is, which is Tim Burton, who is, I would say, to be fair to old Bert, he is a beloved director slash creator. Yeah, definitely. He's like... He has like a thousand emo kids fangirling, fanboying over him, which is not a slide because that's me as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think he's definitely, if you want to talk about auteurs, then he's probably up there, isn't he? If you're going to have that discussion. But he is also quite controversial in recent days. Yeah. No, the auteur thing, I think it's quite interesting discussion to have, um, which we'll definitely get into. Because one of the things that I find positive about the film is definitely how it looks. And he is quite a progenitor for that. Yes. But before we go any further, <laughs> as I've been reminded by my delightful co-host, <laughs> we have been quite lax recently <laughs> on issuing spoiler warnings. So before we go any further, I just want to make it clear. Me and Jess envision this podcast as kind of like a book club type thing where we can sort of have a free discussion about the film uh, in depth and also give spoilers. So we'll be talking about spoilers in this very episode and all the other episodes that we've done in the past. So if you haven't seen the film, I very strongly advise that you go see it and then you can come back and you'll have, you'll know instantly all the little small gags that we'll be talking about, all the bits that we're going to be like laughing about. Yes, because we've been ruining lives for like the past couple of months. <laughs> yeah, we've been taking lives and not giving a shit about it. Yeah, your tears sustain us. <laughs> it gives me life. Yes. Mephistopheles! Yeah. Can actually get a massive laugh at me <laughs> so yes go away now go watch the film come back but if you are into spoilers and you don't want to watch the film but you just want to listen to us totally rip the film apart or give it praise you don't know yet then you are welcome to stay but from here on out we're going to be giving spoilers so three two one if you're still here you're in for spoilers <laughs> oh my god i can't believe johnny depp dies Oh my god. <laughs> Straight to the heart. Times. Cut his head off. <laughs> probably safe. It's probably safer at the moment not to talk about Johnny Depp as a person and just focus on his acting. Yeah, we'd be like, JK guys, JK, don't worry. <laughs> can, we call him, can we call him JD? Because we're so familiar with him. Uh, me and JD go way back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. <laughs> I gave him a lot of counselling during the Amber Heard time. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of dysfunctional relationships. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Tim Burton. Let's. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the plot in general because uh, a lot of people probably do know, a lot of people might not know, but if you don't know, the film Dark Shadows is based on a soap opera of the same name which aired weekdays on ABC from 1966 to 1971. So it didn't have a very long run. 
and, and it had a total of 1,225 episodes. But I found it quite interesting that some of them were renumbered and repeated. Oh, interesting. But like, could you imagine watching EastEnders and you've gone through the whole plot? I mean, last <laughs> time I watched EastEnders, it was like Stacey and Bradley. Yeah. And I was obsessed with them. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> he was, she was like, oh, Bradders, I love you. God. <laughs> Um, because imagine if you're watching EastEnders, then suddenly, like you know, maybe a month later, they just started repeating episodes. You'd be like, "Hang on a minute." Yeah, it'd be really confusing. <laughs> but yeah, so the plot of the film is very closely resembles the plot of the original soap opera, which is about it depicts the lives, love, trials, and tribulations of the wealthy Collins family of Collinsport, Maine. So I think they were inspired by Stephen King, mm-hmm. <laughs> where a number of supernatural occurrences took place. A little bit of trivia, the series became popular after the vampire Barnabas Collins appeared 10 months into the Shadows run. So, Barnabas Collins, Barnabas Collins so I'm going to screw that name up throughout the whole thing. Go straight to call him Barney. <laughs> so Barney didn't appear in the original run of the story until like well into its run, which I find quite interesting because obviously he became a fan favourite because he's like the main focus of this film. Oh my God, it's, li- it's like as if, I'm trying to think of a, of a like, like, min- like Minty or Doc Cotton, and made a movie about them. <laughs> Do you know, my mum passed... Have I ever told you? My mum passed Minty on the street. Really? And because she was, like, familiar with him because of she because of watching EastEnders, she thought she knew him. And she just walked past and went, all right. And he was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're so cool, Paula. <laughs> you go, girl. She gives some shits. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, he's just someone famous. She's like, all right, all right. All right, mate. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, that is actually really interesting. I mean, I, I haven't watched the soap opera, so I couldn't tell you sort of whether it was any good or not or whatever. But it seems was it was it always like a a goth a gothic kind of thing, and they introduced the vampire like later. Yeah, it was written and created as a like gothic sort of tale um, about this Collins family that are failing and all these like curses and that keep happening to them. Um, it's almost as if like. Okay, so sorry for our US listeners. We're going to be talking about a lot of like UK soaps. It's almost as if like Emmerdale, you know, the Tate family home. Yeah, Can you imagine yeah. if it was all just set there and it was all like gothic. I mean, it, I, I suppose the nature of of the soap opera is that people are cursed. Like things, like, things like this don't happen to people in real life or even in movies. Like you have to sustain this like reoccurring bad luck on a on a person or a family or a street even. So it actually is quite a clever parallel that they've made by making it like a, a curse, like a gothic theme. Yeah. So from what I understand from the background that I've been doing on the film, the show was a personal favourite of Tim Burton's growing up, I believe, or he watched them on reruns because I'm not actually 100% sure how old he is. So I don't know what the, the time would line up. I think he's about 60 now. So would he have been around in 19... 19- don't know, he looks kind of old. Bless him. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> but he's, he's just, always looked old. <laughs> Maybe he's just gone grey from all the stress. <laughs> so I believed he, like, obviously, one of his long-time producers uh, that he's worked with in the past, and this was actually his last, sadly, this is his last film that he worked with him on, which was uh, Richard D. Zanuck. Obviously, given that they had a close working relationship, he must have found out about the project and be like, oh, put me on board. But they had a hell of a lot of producers on this film. Which is never a good sign. Yeah, because Richard D. Zanuck, uh, Graham King, Johnny Depp, Christy Dembrowskiewicz, 
and David Kennedy. Uh, and it was written by Seth Graham Smith. Oh, I just I just literally clicked on him. He wrote the Lego movie. The Lego oh sorry, sorry, the Lego Batman movie. Oh, well I enjoyed that. And you um, know what else? He produced it. As in it, as in Stephen King it. <laughs> as in as in um the new one. Yes. Oh good for him. That was good, that film. And he's working on the Beetlejuice 2 screenplay. Oh, so he obviously Ooh. had a good working relationship with Tim Burton. Clearly. When I was looking up Richard D. Uh, Zanuck last night, he produced a lot of films that I enjoy that might not have been that popular. So, like, he did Reign of Fire, which is all about those dragons. Oh, right, yeah. With Christian Bale in. Was it Christian Bale? Yeah, it was Christian Bale. <laughs> and Matthew McConaughey before his, you know, McConaughey. And he also won an Oscar alongside his wife for Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, no way. And she became the only second woman in history to win a Best Picture Oscar. So good for her. Yeah, good for her, definitely. But I think it's important to bring that up because um, the film, as we will see as we go into talking about it, it feels very kind of like by the numbers Tim Burton. And what I mean by that, like you just mentioned, um, it's got the whole gothic film noir type essence to it. It looks very much Tim Burton sort of film, like the way it's shot, the way it's all, the cinematography is all dark and all that. But not even like dark in the traditional like dark dark. It's like grey with blacks and um, pops of colour. Yeah, I I found it, I couldn't decide the whole way through whether or not I enjoyed the aesthetic or if I found it too bland. Because the only real pop of colour was Helena Bottom's hair. <laughs> I know, but every time she's on screen, I was like, that is such a good like choice. But it was strange to have the choice be made for her character. I, yeah, I mean, anyone that knows me knows that I'm very, very bored of Helena Bonham Carter <laughs> because she's just the same in everything. However, in this, she was slightly different in that she was zany, but not like mad woman, you know, ethereal, weird, zany. Yeah, because if you compare her characters, so like, I'm going to compare her to two of her other characters. So like, uh, obviously... Bellatrix was strange in Harry Potter. And then you've got Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. Yeah. It was either a choice or she just toned down the whole kind of like out there, you know, persona that she puts out. She was very kind of like drunk, subdued doctor in this. I feel like usually Helen Mullen Carter does this weird impression of Drusilla from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. <laughs> in that sometimes she's going, ow. Oh, Spikey, I love you. And in the next minute, she's like a screaming banshee. And that's like, that's all she does. <laughs> yeah, because in this, she was kind of like... But she was more normal in is this, Is he I serious? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, f- I, f- I found her a lot more interesting in this because she was kind of away from her usual stereotype. I thought it was hilarious when Johnny Depp, when Johnny Depp was like, a woman doctor? <laughs> what an age this is. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, she was, she was like, yeah, and then she was like, is he serious? <laughs> <laughs> I have to, I have to admit the the plot of him kind of coming to the is it the sixties? I feel like it's the sixties or the early seventies. I wrote it down. So it was eight. I think the old time was eighteen seventies, right? And the new time was nineteen seventy one. Ah, okay, right, got you. Because it's quite sixties looking still, but some of the music was like seventies. So I was a bit confused. Oh, do you know what? I've just realised what they've done. Obviously, the original run of the soap opera was 1966 to 1971. So it's, they just continued on straight from the end of the f- soap opera. 
Really? Huh. That's interesting. Oh, hang on. It's set in 1972, so they've just, they've just skipped a year. Do you know what? Before we go any further, just so you, the listeners know, we are going to be jumping around a lot in this because it's kind of like a drama type film that happens to have a bit of action towards the end. And for the most of the time, it's a comedy as well. We are going to jump through a, a few things. So we'll be talking about characters, plot, themes, how it looks. So we're just going to be jumping. <laughs> you know the deal by now if you're regular listeners. <laughs> we jump around a lot yeah, anyway. You know that we don't. <laughs> we don't do linear. <laughs> but the one thing I wanted to talk about, because it's one of the things that I had a problem with, but also I can let slide at the same time because, spoilers, I do enjoy this film. I'm not going to give my rating until the end, but it's one of the films that um, when I watched it in the cinema, I really did actually leave having a positive impression of it. Just because it's my jam as well, the way it looks. But from what I understand, a lot of the plot lines and the storylines they've used in this film are either inspired or a direct rip-off from the TV show, The Soap Opera. And you can so tell. I don't know if you're all with me on this. Not that I know the original, but I mean, like, if I imagined what would be in a soap opera, it's in this. Another thing that I'm going to bring up, well, no, I'll bring it up now. So Jess, did you notice that this is kind of like a bottleneck film? So all the storylines that you get throughout this, um, and then there's not a lot, but there's a few which I think to myself either could have been taken out or they're not that important in the first place. But everyone's storylines in the film culminates in that big explosion. The climax. F- yeah. yeah, at the end. And it's either to the betterment of the film or works against it, I can't decide. So it'd be interesting to talk this through with you today. And maybe it'll clear my impression of how I feel about the film. So just going through some of the storylines. So you've got, like you've said, you've got Barnabas coming back from the dead. Well, not the dead, but like being... Buried buried alive. Buried alive, yeah. Buried dead, buried undead. (laughs) And then you've got the storyline of Victoria Winters. And then you've got a storyline involving Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Elizabeth. The fact that she's dealing with a crumbling mansion, a a destroying business and that. Those three stories... And also Angelique, sorry. How can I forget Angelique? MVP. <laughs> She'll be after you next. <laughs> but then you've got her wanting revenge. And then all these storylines, they come together right at the end. And it all explodes in a massive confrontation. And everyone gets involved. And everyone has their piece of, like, the pie. And let's jump to that end bit first. Because the one of the problems I have with that fight, not the fight in particular. I enjoyed everything about that. But what wound me up was that, you know, the bit where Angelique reveals like you know that she was actually responsible for everything that's gone wrong with the collins yes i found that too convenient however do i need to forgive that because it's based on a soap opera and that's the sort of thing that you do in a soap opera you know could you imagine like the villainess of the entire soap walking in going do you remember your husband well i had him the other night and it's my fault why he (laughs) left you bitch (laughs) i yeah i I think it's meant to kind of encompass, the, like it's meant to sort of show the fact that her obsession with Barnabas and just being a brat and not getting what she wants and her love not being, her so-called love not being returned, she took it out on everyone, which is a bit strange because generally you don't see that so often in in movies. However, something's just popped into my head and actually... That's a very fairy tale, which kind of representation. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like, you know, your family is cursed. Oh, you know, like in um, Sleeping Beauty, Maleficent takes out all of her rage on her, on the king's like baby and like servants and stuff. 
So it's like, yeah, it it makes sense in that way, and I, f- I find it quite interesting. But if I mean, I, know, I enjoyed Eva Green's performance, but I'm not sure that I enjoyed her character. If you see what I mean, I found it quite irritating rather than well, she's a villain, so she's not meant to like her. But I, I found it. I don't know the bits that she was in. I just found myself rolling my eyes the whole time. <laughs> to her credit, going back to the melodrama of it all, her and Johnny Depp for me are the two people that kind of nailed that kind of feel that I honestly do think Tim Burton was trying to get. That I think he was thinking, right? This is my soap opera type drama film that happens to be gothic because it's right up his alley, really. Yes. Yeah. So I think he could have got that from Johnny Depp because obviously Johnny Depp being a producer I think it's quite telling at the fact that he probably got the project straight away and I have to say the normal Johnny Depp type of acting didn't annoy me in this film because I think it really worked like down to everything that he was saying because he had some classic lines <laughs> there was yeah I think for me it was incredibly hit and miss like so, there were some lines that I was absolutely howling at like I found it really 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 funny and his delivery was funny him navigating the modern world I found hilarious I, but I actually feel like it might be down to my personal taste because I can definitely see what they were going for but when he was interacting with the the, char- the other characters sometimes I felt it was a bit like yeah nobody would act like that and I know that's like oh, like a really trite film criticism but no one would act like that because <laughs> it's a film <laughs> it's not real life but I mean I the, the plot point that was the most confusing for me. And I can't tell. You might be able to tell me. Come on, let's go into I it. Can't, let's dig I can't deep. Tell, I can't tell if it's it was meant to be ironic or not. But the main, one of the main plot points or kind of, you know, gaffes in the film was that his vampirism was meant to be like a secret. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but... Either they just kind of couldn't be bothered to make it less obvious or they were trying to say that the people in the town were ignorant because it was incredibly obvious that he was a vampire. <laughs> like, he has, like, talons. He has, like, pointed ears. He has fangs. He's, like, white as anything. He wears, like... He has an umbrella that he carries around in the daytime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... The thing is, though, I can't decide whether or not do you know what i agree with you like so for instance say like they were doing a pseudo sequel to the original like soap opera even though a lot of the characters from the original soap opera were sort of like repurposed for this film if they're going off the fact that like so barnabas collins has been forgotten about he's come back from the dead and then suddenly this family that exists in the 1970s like come upon him and they're all like oh you're a vampire wouldn't it have been more funny to make it clear that the entire family knows that he's a vampire? Yeah. So, because they, they had that thing at the end before the big fight scene where it had the whole liar reveal scene. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh my God. And I just thought to myself, like, I don't understand why they've done that because, like you said, it'd be better if they all knew. Also, I think, thinking about it, I, I think the aesthetic of the film being what it was it doesn't make sense that he would be under this pretense in that... So you look at, like, Edward Scissorhands, which is obviously obviously also obviously Tim Burton. The reason that it works so well 
is that Edward is this like gothic weird like creature and he's from he's from this like gothic house atop a hill you know this kind of wonderland that they don't understand and then he goes into this suburban kind of town and he he's a stark contrast and he you know so so the 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 conflict that comes up is more believable whereas because the entire film is is filmed in a kind of like as if they're all vampires <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make that much sense and i kind of i know it sounds weird but obviously i i watched this without kind of knowing much of the plot i just sort of I hadn't really been interested in it and then you said to watch it so i did and i didn't know whether or not the characters were meant to be like monsters too or if they were cursed too and all this and in the in the first couple of scenes before barnabas turns up the way that michelle pfeiffer and the rest of the family are acting with um victoria i thought i legit thought they were going to be vampires too i thought it was going to be like the adams family See, this is the thing. This is the thing that I find really interesting because, like, I totally agree with you in the fact that because you just brought up Adam's family. And for me, this feels like Tim Burton's attempt to make Adam's family. Yeah. I almost feel at this point, I actually wish at some point he gets the chance to do Adam's family. It just seems like his sort of like... Oh, it would fit so well. Yeah. But so let's go into some of the plot lines because it goes into what I'm about to, like moan about (laughs) i totally agree with you so the one thing i do like is that i do think there are clashing elements and for me some of them do work so for instance the fact that the house and the family are quite gothic and they represent the old 1870s that barnabas comes from i love the way they clash with the 1970s setting of collins port itself because a lot of the colour comes from the people in the 70s, if you get what I mean. Yeah. So you've got the hippies that are all colourful. Oh my God, the hippies, man. Anyway, we'll get back to them. Um, <laughs> Those delightful unwashed people. Yeah. <laughs> you've got you've got the um, 1970s like pop of colour from the neon lights in the bar and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I love how the family themselves and particularly Barnabas clash with that. But at the same time, I agree with you. Some of the elements don't work. So a main bugbear of mine as well is at the end when you find out that Carolyn or Caroline. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. We're going to talk about her because I've (laughs) I've got a lot to say. But it winds me up that Carolyn, uh, like that her mum didn't know she was a werewolf. Yeah, it makes, it doesn't make any sense. And even at the point where like Angelique at the end went, I sent a werewolf to come bite your daughter. And (laughs) and I was like, well, when did that, when did that happen, love? Like, you know, like. (laughs) <laughs> like wouldn't your mum see a bite mark on your leg or your arm or something yeah and, and and clearly on the full moon you know wouldn't know wouldn't anyone notice hmm, where's carolyn hmm, she's not not at dinner <laughs> and liz knew like michelle pfeiffer fife she knew about the collins curse because she mentions at the end because she knew about it but she thinks it's a myth like she went, mm. oh, you're talking about the Collins curse. And it's like, mm. yeah, but if I'm part of a family that's in this decaying manner that has this weird Barnabas type painting above my <laughs> <laughs> above my fire, I'll be starting to think, is it true? Like- I, I feel that her character was actually, or at least her as an actress was incredibly wasted in this, actually. Oh, yeah. Fife was wasted. You know, when you have Michelle Pfeiffer in your film, you know, you have so many opportunities um and i feel like her character was nothing more really in my opinion than just like the the aggie mum character 
It feels like they were making her be the straight man to Barnabas's Collins like weirdness. But then wouldn't it have been more delightful the fact that she had a, if she was a bit more funnier? Yeah, and I feel like Johnny Lee Miller's character was kind of a, a nothing as well. Oh, I wrote that down in my Why notes. Why was he there? Yeah. Like, he, he didn't have any actual serviceable plot points, did he? I I reckon it felt I felt like his character was only there so that Barnabas could show a bit of like caring at the end when he sends him away. Yeah. But that's it. He could have shown that in many different ways. In fact, I would have really loved it if um, Carolyn had like come out to him as like a werewolf yeah <laughs> and then they'd had like a nice bonding thing of like oh we're both monsters blah 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 blah. you know Do you know what let's talk about carolyn sorry to cut you mm-hmm. off but you've already cut brought up you've already brought up the fact that you were annoyed by her and i was really annoyed by her i've written in my notes that i can't decide if this was a choice by chloe grace moritz mm. or if she is just a bad actor in this film but None of her dialogue was convincing. Nope. For someone that I've seen play a bratty character, she couldn't play a bratty character with any slight bit of humour or believability or even without any character in it. I have to say, I think it might have been working with Tim Burton. I think she might not have gelled well with him because it's interesting to see that she's never worked with him again. So I've noticed it first in the dinner scene when they're before Barnabas turns up. There's a scene at the beginning where Vicky... Um, Victoria <laughs> I it hurts me that you would shorten such a beautiful name such as Victoria <laughs> to you don't let them call the call you Vicky do you <laughs> <laughs> when every syllable uh, is as beautiful as the last <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, sorry, so yes, there's a scene where, where when Vicky's being introduced to the family and I can't tell if it's bad editing, bad acting or what, but they're having a conversation and suddenly Carolyn stands up and just starts screaming and runs out, but it's so disjointed and like comes out of nowhere and is not convincing at all. But I honestly looked at Rich and I was like, was this meant to be in the movie? Do they just, like, forget to cut it out? Because it's just like, it just looked like bad acting to me. But then I said to Rich, well, maybe it's, maybe it's because obviously it is meant to be a melodrama. So maybe that's what they were trying to do. It's that the bit where like, she sort of like stands up, puts her fist on the yeah. table and goes, yeah. everyone's worried about him, but I have yeah. problems too. Or whatever, like, yeah. or I have feelings too, whatever she says. And she yeah. storms out. Yeah, I know. Ugh. Do you know what? I'm, think- I'm, th- I just, I'm just thinking to myself, do you think that maybe they decided to add her in as a werewolf at the end and then they had to reshoot that scene. Because I'm just thinking, right, there's no, unless I'm wrong, there's no actual allusion to the fact that she's a werewolf throughout the rest of the movie. It's only at the end that, like, she, do you know what I mean? Like, there's no, unless I'm wrong, there's no sort of, like, acting of hers that makes it seem like she's anything different. She's she's kind of like a stoner sort of thing, but she's not... Um, unless I just wasn't concentrating properly. But What I find really conflicting is the fact that, for me, there's allusions in the film to the fact that she is something different. But her acting led me to believe that she was a cat, not a werewolf. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, because it's at that dinner table scene that you're on about, David says, um, Carolyn touches herself, I hear her, and I swear he says... Uh, she purrs like a kitten yeah and i swear like he says that 
I could be wrong. No, he does. He does say that, yeah. And then, you know, in the shot where Vicky is introduced to her, she's on that swinging egg type thing hanging from, like the swinging chair, hmm. which is very 70s. Um, and she's got that one leg down and another leg up and she looked very kind of like feline and she was like spinning around with her foot. Ah, uh, yes. And then, you know, the bit where she's dancing to um, the season of The Witch, that to me read cat, not wolf. Yeah, it was very, it was very catty. I, <clears throat> I agree with you there. Um... Maybe if maybe if they should come out as a weird cat, it would have been a bit more. <laughs> because the whole thing, like you know, the bit at the end where she sort of reveals herself to be a werewolf to her mum, and then goes, you know, I'm a werewolf. Okay, let's not make a big deal out of it. And then she turns to her and goes, woof. You know, that's a nod towards Catwoman from Batman Returns. But just make her a cat. If you've cast Michelle Pfeiffer and then cast this girl as her daughter, go, you know, go left field. Make her, make her a weird cat. Yeah, because I mean. Uh- Cat creatures are pretty scary, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, they and they do exist in literature. I mean, like, um, in True Blood storyline, there's the Weir Panthers. It's not like it's out of, like, total left field. I mean, and cat people exist. Like, there's been films about it, like cat. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's... <laughs> and you guys might be like, what the heck? But there's a Scooby-Doo movie. No, I don't know about... Scooby-Doo on, on Zombie Island. And it has cat creatures in that, and that scared the shit out of me when I was little. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Uh, one of the days I might pick that film to talk about. Because... Oh, can we? Oh my god, it'd be so good. <laughs> Such a good movie. And uh, yeah, a little bit of trivia about uh, On Zombie Island. Sorry, guys, we're just going to turn into a Scooby Doo podcast. <laughs> so that was produced, I can't remember the name of the production company, but they were given total free reign of what to do. So that's why it was a little bit more sort of older, with a bit more like scariness. And it was the first time it was real creatures that they were dealing with. Right. Um. And then for the sequel, which they were allowed to make, the creators of Scooby-Doo or whoever owns the rights said to them, we'll let you do what you want to do, but it's got to be a little more kid-friendly this time. So the sequel, which is called The Witch's Ghost, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a little bit more sort of like, so it starts off a lot more like um, goofy and kid-friendly and then it turns scary again. But eventually they all said, you can't make them anymore because they're too scary. I mean, they were scary, if I'm honest, like... Zombie Island is really scary. Yeah. Well, when you're like eight or nine years old, it is anyway. <laughs> but I thought it was brilliant. I love Zombie Island. But yeah, no. Oh my God. There's a, re- sorry, but there's a return to Zombie Island. Oh, and it's really bad, apparently. Oh, is it? Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. And apparently it sort of um, recanonizes some of the stuff that happens in the first one. Oh, right. And fans are not happy. They are not happy. So look out, guys, for our Scooby-Doo podcast coming soon. <laughs> Halloween one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what? I might actually have to have to change that because I've got something else planned. But we could do Scooby Doo for Halloween. That might be quite cool. <laughs> anyway, what are we talking about? Oh, Chloe Grace Moretz. <laughs> this is going to sound like a read, mm. and I don't mean it to be. Or, or do I? Let's be shady for a moment, shall we? Come on, let's <laughs> bring down the lights. Let's be a bit shady, <laughs> right? The problem I have with Chloe Grace Moretz, and it's a problem that I've noticed in a lot of her films that I've watched, so starting from uh, Kick-Ass to Carrie and this, and I haven't seen her in a lot, so maybe that's <laughs> quite hard to judge her on. <sighs> she doesn't emote in her face. She's very, like, po-face, and that can work for some people, but for someone who is being cast in these kind of, like, roles where I feel like you need to have a bit more going on in your face than you do in your action, it's a bit kind of like you're giving me this kind of sullen teenager and that's all I have to work with because there's nothing going on in your face yeah I 
I do actually have a feeling though that that probably was a direction in this anyway. I mean, I've got my opinions about her in other movies, but I'm not talking about that now. Um, <laughs> get into that rant. But um, in this, I can almost forgive her because if you look at the past teenage girl characters, especially the gothicy ones for Tim Burton, they are all of that kind of very expressionless. Oh, I want to kill myself. Sort of like tragic, but not really tragic, but kind of they think they're tragic female uh, teenage characters. And I think maybe he was trying to go with that. And I mean, that's the only real defense I can give it. Make her goth, though, I think. Maybe that's <clears throat> a personal choice that he didn't want to do this time. Yeah, I think that was the problem, actually, I think, is that he was trying to make a Tim Burton movie, but not follow the, the usual Tim Burton aesthetic. And that's why it's so jarring. Yeah, I reckon he might have got pushback from the producers on that. I mean, <laughs> this is totally like fan fiction in like what happened behind the scenes. We don't we don't know. OK, just to make it clear, we don't know what happened. But like you said, he loves that sort of like aesthetic for his females. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was like, let's make her goth. Mm. And then the producers were like, no, this is Chloe Grace Moretz, who was like on the rise at that time. Yeah. We've got to keep her with her blonde hair and put her in miniskirts, which I found quite disturbing. Yeah, me too. I found the beginning sequence, just to skip skip away now, the beginning sequence, I I wasn't, I was watching it thinking I'm going to hate this movie because it was so narratory and the characters were so sort of like, ugh, I don't know how to describe it. It felt trite. It felt like I was watching a school play. In the beginning. Yeah. Um, because the acting. And I said to Rich, actually, so this is something I've been thinking about. Because I said to Rich, I really can't stand that Johnny Depp now, when he does Tim Burton movies or anything else of that ilk, he puts on this very over-the-top British kind of fancy-pants accent. I don't know why he does it. And then I thought, do you know what? Dark Shadows reminds me a little bit of Sleepy Hollow. Yes. In that it's so melodramatic and he does that same accent. And Rich went, but you love Sleepy Hollow. And I was like, yeah, but Sleepy Hollow is meant to be this really camp over the top. You know, it, 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 there's, no, there's no holds barred in Sleepy Hollow, is there? No. Whereas Dark Shadows, I feel... He was. I feel like Tim Burton must have been in a bit of a struggle between trying to balance his usual campy Tim Burtonness with the seventies and trying to make it into more of a real life soap opera drama. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it didn't work because it wasn't. It didn't go all out. I definitely got the balance right between like vibes, like the, the, the dynamics. I can see what he was going for in terms of like so. Barnabas is the standout character because he's sort of like this guy that's thrown in this very kind of like bunny is normal life in the 70s. And then you've got this guy from the 17th century who is very standout and quirky character. But I agree with you in that it feels like it clashes more than it heightens or like improves the film. I think it would have been more effective if the if the Collins family without Barnabas were bit more colourful and maybe you know maybe Liz would have been like doing up the mansion with like different colours and making it like all like wacky which would kind of 
it would kind of show the the time period, but it would also make it more of a contrasting environment for for Barnabas to be in because I just found it so. I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting the the stakes. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> no, because there was meant to be this big secret that he was a vampire when he was clearly a vampire. His relationship with Victoria was thin at best, in my opinion. Oh yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> it definitely. I think actually, a lot of the issues I have with it is that there are too many characters. It's not developed enough what i would like to have seen with victoria's character is maybe see some of the past history more towards the beginning of the film rather than left for the tail end of the film because i found it interesting because so for instance when i watched it this time i totally forgot about the bit right at the beginning when she picks her name out off the sign and Mm. is kind of hiding herself from the police when she gets off the train yeah and I was sort of going in my head, what's going on? Because as far as I remembered, she was, was plain Jane who just went for this governess job. <laughs> yeah. And to then get her story later on, which I, I mean, it's not surprised that I forgot about it because it's kind of like Finn at best, like you said. To get the story at the end that she was this kind of haunted by this ghost of her former past, because I assume they're going with the fact that she is a reincarnation of this Josette. Yeah. And oh my God. And they had that terrible shot when she walks into the manor of like her in the foreground and then Josette's picture in the background. Oh, I know. Because when they did that, I sort of went like, okay, we get it. We're not stupid. It's clearly the same actress. You haven't got to do the the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, eh, eh, get it, get it, get it. You're the same person. Get it. I know. I find it disconcerting in movies when the characters as well don't notice these things like you know when you watch you know like a superhero movie and they've got like a little mat like an eye mask on and everyone's like oh who is it and it's like it's your <laughs> husband you're so right yeah because if her painting's right there on the wall because david notices it's barnabas from the picture but as but as well doesn't barnabas realize that it's the same woman as his the love of his life yeah <laughs> i mean like, surely he would have taken one look at Victoria and been like, oh my God, you are like the spitting image. <laughs> yeah, because he calls her Josette, because he walks into the room and goes, Josette? I, I guess I guess they just didn't want to go into it. But like, you've got um, Angelique, who has sort of either lived a very long time or been like reincarnated over and over, right? Yeah. So he knows this is possible because he's seen Angelique. So how is there never any like scene or anything where he's like, where he says to Victoria, you know, I know these things are possible. You know, do you think you could be reincarnated? Blah, blah, blah. Like, there's no, there's never any real, they have like a couple of like random chats about David and that's it. Like, because my main problem with her character is her ultimate ending, which is she kills herself so she can be reunited with Barnabas through her past self. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I didn't understand that at all. How I read the film, which is very problematic if you think about it, is the fact that this young woman has been haunted by the, her past self her entire life, who has been leading her to go back to Collinsport so she could meet Barnabas and fall in love with him. Because what I think happened, which they weren't explicitly clear about, was that Josette wanted Vicky to kill herself so she can inhabit her body. Ooh, yeah. But isn't that problematic? Because that means that Vicky Ivor is a character that you shouldn't care about because she ultimately dies anyway. Or she is Josette anyway. She's see what I'm trying to say? Because Yeah, it's never made clear. 
Because I think they're going for a mummy type thing. Because you know, like in Mummy Returns, there's the reincarnation of um, Anux Cinnamon. Anux Cinnamon. <laughs> yeah. This woman that who is Anux Cinnamon reincarnated is explicitly told to us that this is Anux Cinnamon. She's not someone called, you know, Josie that then gets like inhabited by her past self. Whereas this woman, Vicky, is presented to us as someone that is a whole human being of herself that has her own thoughts, feelings. And isn't it a bit disturbing that he actually falls for Vicky as Vicky, only for her to then die and then get re-inhabited by his past lover? Yeah, because at the end, like when she becomes vampire, he's like, Vic- Victoria, Victoria. She's like, no, Josette. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Because it, I do actually think they were intending to have a sequel to this because you've got the whole um, doctor waking up in the bottom of the sea at the end. Yeah, that was weird. So maybe they would have dealt with that in the sequel. I definitely thought that when, when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to do a sequel. I mean, I guess they didn't because it didn't do so well at the box office, I suppose. No. And I can see, well, box office box office numbers and home video or streaming numbers are always quite contentious, aren't they? Because you might not have wanted to see it at the cinema. It might not have like grabbed you, but it might be, you know, a super good movie. And I think it's always a bit dangerous adapting things from like the 70s or the 60s because a lot of the fan base are either over it dead or they've you know they might see it but not really or like they might not get around to it and and obviously the younger generation or the generation above like the really old people aren't going to want to see it because it doesn't grab them so i think it was a very risky choice for them to make this so when i went to go see the film in cinema I was very kind of like put off at the fact that it was set in the 70s because like we have no connection to the 70s. We weren't born then. We weren't around then. I'm not a big fan of the 70s anyway because I really just like the fashion. I think it's kind of very glaring. I don't like anything about, you know, the decor or the fashion. I find it very kind of like off-putting. And I was thinking to myself, would I find it a bit more enjoyable if it had been more of a modern setting or even if it was like an 80s or 90s type thing? I think even if it had been like, early 60s or 50s it would have even worked or or even or even a kind of like in the vein of <clears throat> Edward Scissorhands where you can't actually really tell what the there's no kind of real temporal fixtures it's all just kind of like suburbia as a place rather than a time I, I do respect the fact that they go all in on the 70s setting yeah. they use a lot of the good music from the time they use Alice Cooper which I thought was really random oh I I hated that. I hated that. Did you? Absolutely hated it. Yeah, I really did. I don't. I don't have an issue with Alice Cooper, <laughs> and I found a few of the jokes were quite funny. Like that's the ugliest. Thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he says to David, "Go watch the Cooper Woman." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. That was kind of funny, but generally, I'm not a fan of musical cameos in movies. I I find them very like I I feel like it's filler. Or like promotion, like I, I thought, you know, in a few, you know, I'd look back at 2012 and like Alice Cooper would have a new album out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I just found it, I found it very strange. Um, yeah, especially when they have good cameos, like Christopher Lee as that captain. Yeah, that was funny. Like that's a good cameo because you're nodding the fact that he was Dracula. He's like interacting with a vampire who is Johnny Depp. It is unexpected. And when I saw it in the cinema, I was kind of like, oh, Christopher Lee has a cameo. That's cool. It didn't bother me that they would allude to the fact that there were like pop culture references and things like if there had just been a conversation of him and Carolyn and she just said like, oh, you know, listen to like music now. You know, Vicky likes Alice Cooper. I would have been like, ha ah, yeah, lovely. 
But the fact that Alice Cooper went to the mansion, I'm just a bit like, nah, I'm not sold. I don't know. It's like, okay, so you look at Mars Attacks, and obviously they've got cameos from like loads of famous people. So you've got like Tom Jones, etc., and like oh, that wrestler guy, I can't remember his name. In that world, it is, it's about Vegas. It's about like, it's like a societal comment. Whereas I feel like this was more of a fantasy drama than a real life. Do, do you see what I mean? Like, so there's no roots in, in like the real world, really. I mean, it's one of those things where it's a movie and it's based in like in the world, you know, in America. But it's not the real world, if you see what I mean. Is it bad that for me, the only satisfying payoff in the entire film when it comes to the characters themselves is for me, Angelique? Yeah, it was, it was satisfying, yeah. Because if you think about where it starts, it starts with her like being the lover of Barnabas. She's spurned and then she holds this kind of grudge for the entire film and her entire lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they even have the really cool aesthetic of her being like a China doll at the end. So she's given away so much of her life's power and her force into hating and longing for Barnabas that she's become hollow. Yeah. I thought it was a really cool metaphor. Yeah, I agree. And it was really creepy when she was like twisting her body and like fighting and yeah the sound effects were brilliant with the kind of the crumbling china i thought that was really cool yeah and but then maybe that's a positive for the film that it had a really good believable villain i i enjoyed i thought it was quite well i say that i find the sex scene funny and it was funny however i'm not sure how i feel about barnabas's character in that he does keep running back for a shag with her in the He's meant to be painted to be, like, in love with Josette or Vicky or whatever. And that he's, like, this, you know, he's a vampire, but he's a good guy and, you know, all this. And I know that characters should have flaws if they're meant to be realistic, but he's meant to be a caricature. So the fact that he keeps going back for sex with her is really disingenuous when you put it against his, like, love for for Victoria. And that comes after that montage scene where, like, you know, he sort of... Because him and Liz are talking and he says, then we shall fight. And then there's that massive, like, montage of the mansion getting redone, then bringing back the shipping. And then... Yeah. <laughs> and him... And him bonding with them. And then him trying to sleep in all different places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so... When he's trying to get into the polystyrene box. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he's in the, um, the linen cupboard, when she opens it and he's at the top. Yeah. I so empathise with that scene because we had a linen cupboard, like a heater cupboard. Yeah. And I used to hide on the top shelf on top of like, because the towels used to be hot because it's right next to the heater. <laughs> That's so creepy. When I was younger, I used to hide on top and like lay down and be like, hehehehe. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty scary to be honest. Oh, it was funny. But no, I agree because like you've had that scene where he's the total kind of like the butt of the joke. And then mm. he's being a right sod with sleeping with her when he's meant to be like, you know, falling over the like Josette slash Vicky. It's, it's something that I really struggle with in movies is that you can write a character a certain way and that's fine. But I absolutely revile it when they're, what's the word, when, when they betray the character that they've written for the sake of the story. It drives me crazy. Like, oh, this, this person has these beliefs and they're like totally like on with this. But the plot needs us to do this, so they're going to go against their beliefs and do this. And I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. Like, that's not what... That whole thing... That's not how you've written it. Yeah, the, I think that scene in particular was, like, all for the gag. 
Like, you know, oh, isn't it funny that they're going to have sex all over the room and destroy everything? Yeah, and, and to be fair, it was it was a funny scene, and I was laughing, and, you know, when they're, on, when they're like, crawling along the, like, <laughs> ceiling and stuff, that was really funny, it was. But just in terms of character development, I was like, uh, and I guess it's supposed to say about how he's, like, you know, she's she's this, like, temptress witch thing. But that's problematic in itself, because that's saying that that's, that's blaming her, whereas he's going, like... At times, I actually felt quite sorry for her because oh. I thought to myself, actually, Barnaby's more the villain. I in this, absolutely in this... felt sorry for Angelique. Honestly, mm. I, I'm with you on that because even back to the past self, when you saw it in the sort of flashback opening scene, wherever it's class it as, you know, when like he's shagging her, then he turns around and she's like, "Oh, say you love me, Barnabas." And he's like, "I can't say that." And then I was like, "Well, you're just a bloody bastard, then, aren't you?" You're a fuckboy. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted him to say to her, like, you know, this is all it is. No offence. But he just like, I can't say that. It's like, you're just leaving her hanging then. Because at the end of that scene, when, like, they have funny sex, <laughs> she's like, you know, I'll just admit that you love me, Barnabas. He's like, no, this was a mistake. And I'm like, oh, my God. That you just shagged her. Yeah. yeah it's, it's horrible because it's, it, I, I don't know whether or not it was intentional. I don't like to go the whole feminist thing. I'm not really like a, you know, hard hardcore feminist, but. It's basically saying to the audience, she is, it's her fault that she is misinterpreting his signals. Yeah. You know, she's obsessed with him. Oh, stupid Angelique. She thinks that he loves her, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, but you're forgetting the fact that he's sleeping with her. <laughs> yeah, he's leading her on. He's le- exactly, exactly. He's leading her on. So I I do find it quite problematic, really. And it, and it also cheapens, it cheapens the ending because you think, well, you don't love Victoria or Josette because you've been shagging Angelique the whole time. Yeah. I don't know. I've, as a, as a, speaking, speaking as a woman, <laughs> I found it disingenuous and I, I ended up feeling quite sorry for her. And actually at the end, when she like takes out a little heart and it's beating and she's like, take it. And he's like, nah. That's like a pretty horrible death for her. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to be rejected on a death chandelier. <laughs> I love Angelique. But when she turns up at the party in that red dress, I was like, she's lit. <laughs> like, mm. she was everything in that red dress. <laughs> yeah, but like, it just shows, you know, like, how they wrote the character that she's so kind of this, like, temptress who's like a baddie and that her sexuality is like a dangerous thing and stuff. And she's so sucked in by by Barnabas and his sexy bangs. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's okay to do that. You can have someone who is like... I mean, for, I think you cast Eva Green as someone who is just inherently sexy. And she's one of my favourite Bond girls. Because even in Bond, she is the sexy temptress. But what you need to do is give her redemption at the end. Or at least show her to be more than just that. In Bond, her... So this is a spoilers for Bond, if anyone, if you haven't seen Casino Royale. <laughs> so spoilers alert, Vespa in the film turns out to be a double agent for... Which you find out is Spectre later on down the line in the Bond films. But as you find out at the end of, of Casino Royale and then it deals with the sequel, which we spoke about, Quantum of Solace, guys, go watch it. Well, sorry, go listen to it. Watch it, then listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> you find out that she herself was doing it for a noble reason that because she was trying to save her fiance's life. So that makes her more than what she is in the film. That makes her more than just this temptress that was trying to get Bond killed, basically. In this, I think if he'd taken the heart, it would have actually redeemed her. 
yeah, like as an act of mercy before she dies. Yeah. I think they mistakenly believe that the audience would hate her towards the end. So when he doesn't take the heart, you're like, yeah, you don't take that heart, Barnabas. She's a... Yeah. Whereas we felt sorry for her because you're right, she was totally screwed over. I mean, they're both they're both baddies in a way. I mean, I would never say that like her actions are super understandable. I mean, <laughs> you know, if a guy if a guy shags you and then says no, yeah, there's nothing, then cursing his family and you know, setting werewolves on babies, <laughs> it's probably not. No, yeah. Did you have a problem with the killings that Barnabas did? Like, so he killed the work people, which is understandable because he's, like you said, I'm so sorry this, I'm really thirsty. And the hippies. Yeah, but I don't understand that bit because Carol Ann says to him, you need to go out and find some modern music. So he then finds these hippies to talk to. But then he's like, I'm sorry for what I'm about to do. And then he kills them as well. And I'm like, when Angelique at the end gets the angry mob and sort of says, well, he did commit those murders. I'm like, well, she's right. He did commit those murders. Yeah, he did. I mean, to be, to be fair, she turned him into a vampire. Yeah, I suppose. So, it's kind of her fault. <laughs> Justice for Angelique. Yeah. Um, I, th- I actually, in my opinion, what they really should have done in this is strip it down, get rid of the characters that weren't that necessary. I mean, I don't even think that David was that necessary, do you? Oh, no, David was only in the film so that Barnabas could be uh, seen to be the good dad. Yeah. And then at the end, for him to be like, oh, yeah, the woman I've been talking to the entire film that you think I'm crazy is actually my mum and she's real. Yeah. That was, that was it. it. Um, so I feel like John Lee Miller, David, possibly even as well Helena Bonham Carter, didn't actually need to be in it. And I think they would have, because the movie is two hours long, so it's it's quite big. Back to the killings that Barnabas did. I didn't even find him killing her justifiable. He walks in because he's like, Professor, we must double our efforts to get me human again. And then he's like, and she's like, chilling out with his blood. <laughs> I mean, I get that he's disgusted by himself because he's this creature that he hates. But at the end of the day, this woman was trying to help you. Because I believe she was trying to help him to begin with. And then baby decided to then use his blood. I don't know. I feel like it was just a way to get rid of her because they didn't know what to do with her character. So they just yeah. went, oh, I know. Let's make her, a, you know. And I don't find it funny that she gave him a blowjob. I find it disgusting. Yeah, so do I. I felt like that was played for cheap gag for the adults in the audience. And I find it a disrespectful way to treat her. Especially you're just going to dispose of her like that. I just think as well, I don't know if it's just me, but even though Tim Burton's films are like a bit gory and like gothic, they have a very childlike quality to them in a lot of ways. They're not sexual. Even the ones that have like love and sex in them. It's generally quite a sort of naive love. It's all very childlike. It's all very sort of, you know, big fish as well. Like, that's all about love, but it's not about sex. But his leading men are often kind of like, when it comes to love and sex, they often are the kind of like inexperienced virgin. Yeah, they're never like Lothario. No. And then I think this is the problem that we're having with this film in that Barnabas is kind of like a horned dog. Yeah. (laughs) But dressed up like a naive child yeah. and sometimes acting naive. Look, maybe we need to forgive her portrayal because I definitely feel like she is pretty set up to be the villain for the next film. Yeah. Because if she's giving him like a blowjob and then she's the spurned lover and then she's dumped at the bottom of the sea and she comes back, then maybe she's out for revenge against Barnabas and Josette slash Vicky. I think that had been dealt with in a sequel as well. Is she Josette? Is she Victoria? Yeah, it was... 
in two hours they managed not to actually cl- like clarify a lot <laughs> yeah so you know what let's go to our rating of the film shall we because it feels like we've come to a natural conclusion of discussing it yeah let's end the discussion the review of the film by going to the three sites that we go to first. Um, so Jess, you give us the sites and then I want to find out your opinion before we come to a, susen- uh, <laughs> to a consensus. <laughs> consensus. Okay, so if, if as far as audience rating on the, on the sites, we've got IMDb, which has a 6.2 out of 10. Metacritic has a 5, well, 55%, so 5.5 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes has the lowest one being 35%, 3.5 out of 10, which is not good. So on on the kind of, from a very small sample average, you're looking at about a five, which I would tend to agree with, I think, in that it has a lot of good in it. And it's not, I would never actually say it's a bad film. I didn't, I, I enjoyed watching it. I didn't want to turn it off at any point, which is which is good. <laughs> um, and I definitely did with Alice in Wonderland <laughs> several times. <laughs> Ugh. But I think it struggles in that whether or not it was Tim Bur- completely Tim Burton's choice or whether or not he had a lot of pushback from the studios, that they couldn't balance his aesthetic and his themes and his usual sort of like character tropes with the source material and the time it was set and I think that was probably a massive struggle for him and for them doing it because it is so clear that they're trying to make it a Tim Burton film but also make it this like 70s drama which doesn't really meld very well yeah and the bits the bits that are Tim Burton-y are good but I think there are certain points within the film that the plot and that visuals just don't go and I'm I think maybe if they'd had a bit more time or a bit less pushback, they probably could have like ironed it out a bit. But to me, it reads like they were trying to get it out quick and they just thought, right, let's just bash it out. We've got the stars. We've got the director. The script is done. We've got, we've got um, source material to work from, so it should be a breeze. And they didn't really consider how complicated it would be to make it work. The characters were... I didn't really like any of the characters if i'm honest i found a few characters quite funny at times i thought barnabas was funny at times i thought that angelique was sympathetic at times i liked michelle pfeiffer's character but i think it was more to do with the fact that i like michelle pfeiffer yeah (laughs) if it was played by somebody else i think i would have found it very blah yeah um everyone else was pretty forgettable if i'm honest so i i would give it a five yeah i I just sort of go with that what do you think so I'm going to make interesting comparison here. And so bear with me. Okay. <laughs> how I feel about this film is how I feel about X-Men first class film. Okay. Done by Matthew Vaughan. Right. So, so Matthew Vaughan has said in interviews that this is an X-Men film if he was allowed to make a James Bond film. Right. Okay. And if anyone has seen the film, uh, you definitely get the sense that it feels very James Bond just with mutants. Mm-hmm. This film feels like it should be tim burton doing an adams family film yeah he feels constrained by the fact that it's not he feels constrained by the fact that he's got to include this melodrama which like we've discussed some sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and he totally feels constrained by the fact that he hasn't created any original characters himself in that 
he's putting a new spin on things. Like, I'm pretty sure Barnabas didn't act the way he acts in this. But let's be honest, that's more Johnny Depp than it is Tim Burton. <laughs> yes, it's very, yeah, it's very um, 2010s Johnny Depp. <laughs> so I can appreciate this film for what it is. And I do enjoy the film. I enjoyed it in the cinema and I enjoyed it enough to have it on Blu-ray. So it's in my collection. It's not a film that I would go to on a whim. Like I think to myself, I want to have, be, I want to enjoy watching this because there is more drama in it than it, anything else that would attract me to a film. Like I'm not a big drama guy. It has to be a very impressive drama for me to actually like the film. Like last episode's film that we watched, um, which locked it out of the park. That was like an A star pick by you, Jess. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so. I do think in terms of our rating, it is a bad film because I don't feel like it's successful in anything it sets out to do. So I can separate the fact that like I like the film for what it is and I enjoyed it. And I do like, even though he's an asshole, <laughs> I do enjoy Barnabas and I do enjoy Angelique. And they're the only two people in the film that I'm actually enthralled by the story. I find Josette totally replaceable. I find Carolyn could have been taken out of the film altogether. I find David could have been taken out of the film altogether. Uh, I like the way it looks, but that's no surprise because it's Tim Burton. So, like, I'm not going to give him any points for that. But you know what? <laughs> that's quite interesting me saying that. I just said that on, <laughs> out of nowhere. But I think sometimes people do give what they used to. I think that's really died down lately. And we can get into that. But Tim Burton can't keep recycling the same old crap anymore and get away with it. Whereas he used to be able to, like, you know, it was quite original, the fact that Tim Burton was quite dark and he used lots of, like, noir-type settings and old B-movie horror films and that sort of thing. But that's so rote right now and overplayed because other people have been doing it as well that he's not bringing anything original to his films anymore. I want him to bring out something really good. Like, so do I. I so want to watch... I want to, get ex- I want to get excited again. I want to be like, oh, my God, there's a new Tim Burton film out. I can't wait. But it's not. Now I just go, oh God, not again. I mean, you know, if you'd have said to me 20 years ago that Tim Burton is making Dumbo, I would have been like, oh, I would have exploded with excitement. Yeah. I would have thought it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like a really original, like Frankenweenie type story. It's going to be so cool. When they announced that he was making it like a couple of years ago, I wanted to cry. <laughs> Yeah. Because I just thought, oh, it's going to be awful. I mean, Alice in Wonderland was probably my most hated film of the kind of last 10 years or so. I absolutely hated it. Like, really hated it. Like, we watched it in the cinema and I left the cinema just like in a rage. (laughs) Because it was just so awful. In my opinion, anyway, it was just awful. It was all over the place. Oh, my God. It It was ugly. It was badly acted. The CGI didn't work. The story was like really boring and like formulaic. Oh my God, I just can't even get over how much I hate that f- that film. But the fact that it was made by one of my favourite directors made it even more of a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> because I was expecting it to be like kind of good. And that was the point that where I was like, okay, Tim, what's going on? And it did occur to me that I think money is probably, not just money, but I think the film industry as it is at the moment is... If it's a commercial property, I feel like at the moment, you don't want to watch a commercial property. You want to watch an independent film these days. Yeah. Because everything commercial is soulless, in my opinion. 
to piggyback off what you just said, because we really do have to acknowledge the way the, especially the Hollywood film industry is going at the moment. It's going into a really dangerous route. And I really wish someone would step in and say, look, this can't happen. Like for instance, the fact that people are not up in awe about the fact now Disney owns fucking everyone mm-hmm. is absolutely travesty because you need to actually put someone who is like us. We are struggling screenwriters that want to get into the industry. Mm-hmm. And the fact that someone like Disney now owns star Wars, 20th century Fox, and all these properties, because it goes a lot more deeper than just the films that we know. It goes into like TV and everything as well, right? Oh, yeah. These yeah. people now have monopoly over at least over half of the industry in terms of the commercial, commerciality, sorry. So, and the reason why this is dangerous is the fact that these people are already in a position where they have been making film for decades, right? And they have all the connections that they've already had. Are you telling me that they would take a chance on struggling screenwriters and filmmakers? No, they're going to go to the people who have been tried and tested and bring them in to make these films. You only need to look at the recent Star Wars sequel trilogy. They brought in J.J. Abrams. Now, J.J. Abrams, I'm sorry, he's not this indie darling that people like to make out that he is. And I love (laughs) J.J. Abrams, don't get me wrong. I know you do. But I can actually stand up for the fact that this is nepotism at its worst. His father is in the business. He's been given all the chance because of who he knows, not what he does. Now, what he does happens to be very marketable. And he made one of the more successful Star Wars out of the trilogy of films. Well, apparently to fans, even though I disagree with that. Um, I think the second was a much more original take on Star Wars. Um, But anyway, we get into (laughs) that. My point is, Tim Burton is a Disney darling. He will always have a place within Disney because they know that he will bring in money, or he used to. But I think people might have started turning on us now. Well, Dumbo, Dumbo didn't do very well, did it? No. So we need to open our eyes up to the fact that the way Hollywood is going right now is not where we want to go. And I'm not saying don't go support these films. If you love the MCU, I love the MCU. I'm part of the problem as well. <laughs> But at the same time, you need to go out there and you need to actually find these indie films and actually support them because that's the only way we're going to get diversity in the in the market and we're going to get new, fresh ideas because at the moment, it is dominated by people who are getting successful because of who they know and what they've done in the past rather than anyone giving a chance on, what, on someone who's untested. I don't know about you, but I notice it massively. When I, when I go to the actual cinema, well, before all this happened, it was always the movies that I wasn't, didn't know much about that I ended up super enjoying and like really loving and finding really interesting. Yeah. All the ones that were like remakes or I mean not all, there are a few exceptions to the rule obviously, but like generally I just felt completely underwhelmed. And and don't get me wrong because I know that nothing is ever super original, you know, and most of the movies that I love the most are based on books. So they are technically remakes in a way. Yeah. (laughs) Adaptions. They're not just like original screenplays, um, generally. But there's still an interpretation of a work that is authentic. The the visual storytelling is original, if you see what I mean. Yeah. The the, the skeleton of it is there. The book is there. there, But the, the way it looks and the way it feels is real and, and true. Whereas when you remake something or a, when you remake a visual medium, it will always be compared more so than it will to a book. 
And if you don't get it right, or if you don't give it enough soul, it's never going to be good because it's just not, it's not impactful. Yeah, because Hollywood is a business first and foremost. And I do think we forget this. That's why I find uh, stuff like the Academy Wars so kind of hypocritical because films that win or films that are given the recognition, like Bunny is recognition that they deserve, uh, is because it's based on politics and it's based on money. The reason why films that are being released, especially during this pandemic, and that are, go- I think we're going to get much more. <laughs> I'm afraid for what we're going to get post pandemic than we are getting right now, because I think mm. the film industry is in such a bad state. We're going to get more remakes. We're going to get more things based on properties that we're familiar with from our childhood then we are going to get anything original because they know that nostalgia brings in the big bucks. And I understand why they need to do this. However, linking it back to Dark Shadows, this is a property based on an old soap opera. And and like you said, I think the mistake they made was that the people that was around to appreciate it at the time are either disinterested in it because they're like older and they don't really want to go to the cinema to see a film like this. Yeah. Or the dead. So that's a mistake they made. However, they took a risk on this film because they knew that there was nostalgia. Did it work? We're saying no. And what we're saying, linking it into the present day and what's going on in the film industry right now, is that you're going to get a load more of these remakes and stuff that's going to hit you commercially than you are going to get anything that's a valid piece of filmmaking in terms of art. It's it's just a shame, really, because the the movie itself is not like... It's not, I wouldn't even say, it's not poorly made. It's not, you know, it's... it's. No. You can tell they have made an effort with it. It's not, I wouldn't say it's lazy. I feel like the acting is. Some of the acting is. I thought Eva, I don't think Eva Green was, was phoning it in. But she's a goddess. <laughs> yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer did the best of what she was given. <laughs> it wasn't much. And then, um, oh, what's her name? The one that plays Vicky. Got out of my head. Uh, Bella Heathcock. Cot, I think Heath Cot. Sorry, I don't know if she was trying or if she was just trying to do the kind of like Tim Burton big eyes, you know, not, not really emoting sort of character. But Tim Burton's casting when it comes to like his female leads to me is problematic because, like we've discussed in the past off podcast, um, I feel like his casting is kind of very kind of ageist because he will continually cast Johnny Depp in roles where he's actually aging out of yep. but he won't cast an older female like why did Vicky have to be that young she didn't need to be that young yeah it's creepy isn't it I think to be honest he could have cast a, a woman of a certain age to match but Johnny Depp and I would have been in for it yeah so would I if anything her, uh, her all those years in the mental asylum given how old she would have been say like for instance she was in her 40s which is still not matching Johnny Depp at the time I'll be be real well johnny depp is coming up to 60 isn't he yeah so he would have been and this was 2012 so what he would have been late 40s early 50s mm, yeah so if you're going to cast someone of that age woman wise wouldn't that have been um that would have been hella Bonacarta's age the thing that doesn't make sense to me in terms of the casting is that in the beginning barnabas was meant to be like sort of early 20s wasn't he like like a playboy yeah his parents his parents were still alive they were a little bit older but they weren't old old and i get that obviously he's been a vamp he's a vampire now and he's been like you know (laughs) pale paled up so he's meant to look a bit different however why on earth didn't they cast somebody like dame dehan or someone like 
I don't know, even like Nicholas Holt or someone like that who is more believable, but obviously it's, oh, well, it's Johnny Depp, so, you know. I mean, I like I like Johnny Depp as an actor, and I still hark back to, like, you know, like, Chocolat and Edward Scissorhands, you know, all the things that he was so good in. But now, I look at his, not, and not because of his, not because of his personal life, that's not to do with it, but, like, his acting makes me cringe now, most of the time. It's because he's not maturing with his age and like because he's still playing this kind of Peter Pan forever young type, you know, aren't I funny? Whereas that was brilliant in at the time, like Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Like his that kind of acting really works. And for this, uh, you could argue that it works somewhat. But mm. like we're saying, this is the beginning of the end for Tim Burton. I feel like it's the beginning of the downhill slope for Johnny Depp as well. Oh, I think it has been ever since they started making like third fourth pirates movie to be honest he's become a, a, a character yeah but hey ho what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah so i am comfortable saying it's a bad film because you can still enjoy a bad film but for me the reason why i would say it was a bad film in terms of our rating is that i don't think they were successful in what they were trying to do i don't think it's a bad film in terms of like oh god i'd never want to watch that again it's so so bad no but i think it's a mare film which is almost worse <laughs> should we say it's bad <laughs> i mean so in terms of you know being underrated i uh i wouldn't yeah i'm not kind enough to say that it's underrated i see i like reserving underrated for films that people don't give it a chance and then we can be like champion for it i in all seriousness i can't champion for this film and say to someone that you will definitely enjoy this because i know it has its problems <laughs> The moments in it that were really endearing were making me want it to be better than it was. I wanted it to be like as good as what we do in the shadows or, you know, anything like that. Unfortunately, it didn't really deliver, in my opinion, at the end. Okay. Oh, I'm quite excited. We've got a bad film for once. But like, I'm okay with saying that because I still think we can have good films that are, that in our opinion, we like, but then they can be considered bad. Like, I have a lot of films in my collection that I would say, people would say it's a bad film, but I enjoy it. <laughs> okay, right. So before we go, this is the part of the, of the podcast where I find out what we're going to be talking about next because it's Jess's turn. Um, okay, so I've got two things in mind. And one of them I have seen recently and one of them I haven't seen yet. Which one would you like me to pick? <laughs> Let's do the one you have seen, only because uh, it, it means next time we can have like kind of a guided tour because you've seen it and you'll be able to watch it again. Okay. So, ding, 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 ding. I would like us next episode to watch Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh. Because, well, not, you know what? I'm not actually going to tell you why, because <laughs> that'll be like <laughs> spoilers for the next episode. That's a film that I've been meaning to see, actually. And it was on TV recently and I missed it. But like, anyway, so excited to watch the film for next time. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, guys. And it's been bye, bye, bye from me. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye now. Bye, bye from me. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye now. Enjoy the film. Bye, bye. Bye, bye. I know you will. Bye now. Bye, bye. bye. <laughs>
You've been listening to Really Rated, a movie review podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not dive into our archives and catch up on the movie reviews you might have missed? And have your say by sending your own thoughts and questions of the films you've discussed so far to reallyrated at gmail.com. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and stay up to date with the latest episodes. And spread the word that we are now available at Podbean, iTunes, Spotify and Google Play Music. Until next time, film fans. Keep Keep it it really really rated. rated.